Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Well, we are. Uh, I guess I should probably introduce myself. If I don't think I have yet, I'm I'm Scott. I'm the pastor at Christ Church, and uh, joy to have you with us online, watching from wherever you are right now. I trust you're cozy and you have a really nice blanket and a cup of coffee and everything else. Um, we're current, currently in the middle of a government-mandated shelter-at-home order, which is why I'm doing something I never thought I would be doing, and I feel like a YouTube personality or something. Um, and our country is reeling from coronavirus. I don't need to tell you that. But next week is Holy Week, the week of weeks. And uh, it's the week we walk with Jesus through his passion, and what a bizarre merging of events, coronavirus and Holy Week. And with that in mind, I want to tell you three stories uh, to just get our imagination alight this morning. The first, I assume many of you have heard probably in sermons before, and that is the story of the Christmas truce of 1914 on the front lines of World War One. You guys heard about that? Thanks. So. It's a great story. Basically, on Christmas Eve, uh, in the first year of World War One, in the places where the German and English front lines were in listening range. Uh, the English started hearing the Germans singing Christmas carols and wishing them Merry Christmas on Christmas Eve. So the Germans were singing Silent Night, which is always better in German. And then the English, who were previously shooting at these guys, started responding with the first Noel in English. And then the English heard the Germans singing English soldier, English soldier, a Merry Christmas come out to us. And so at first the scouts came out and shook hands and traded cigarettes and chocolate and whiskey, which is funny because that's what my family trades on Christmas Eve. Um, just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, and they agreed to not shoot one another if they came out. And so a truce happened. And all up and down the English and uh, German lines, there was joy and peace. And because these folks were Europeans, uh, it's hilarious uh, how human nature is so incomparable. They started arguing about their football teams, whether the Germans were better soccer players or the English in the midst of war. Uh, and so they started playing football. They made a little pitch in the middle of no man's land and they started doing it. And later on, the Wall Street Journal wrote, what appears from the winter fog and misery is a Christmas story, a fine Christmas story that is in truth, the most faded and tattered of adjectives inspired. It was the last truce until the armistice of 1918, four years later. The next story is about Easter in 1945 at the Dachau Nazi concentration camp. And Dachau, if you're familiar with it, was one of the most horrific Nazi camps during World War II. And I trust that you know um, about the history of concentration camps and what happened for 12 years to the almost 200,000 uh, prisoners who were at Dachau who were tortured and killed over 12 years. But in 1945, the U.S. Army got to Dachau and liberated the prisoners during Holy Week. And at that time, Dachau had hundreds, hundreds of Catholic priests and also many Orthodox uh, bishops, deacons, and priests who were there. And also some monks from the famous Mount Athos were all in Dachau concentration camp at that time. And in the midst of their liberation, while the world was in tatters, they remembered that it was Easter. And they came together to keep the feast still in their prison uniforms. Um, there's actually an icon which is in Dachau to this day, which was on the, the front of our bulletin, which shows Jesus opening the gates of Dachau. 
Um, they had no vestments. They had no candles. They had no books. They had no Bibles. They had no wine. But they got creative. They literally went and took the SS guards' towels to sew their vestments. And they took the SS guards' uh, like first aid kits and they took the red crosses off those and pasted them onto their towels. And they got together to keep the feast of Easter. And the ministers uh, wore their vestments, their new SS towel vestments, over their prison uniforms. And though they had no liturgical books, the priests had everything memorized by heart. And they chanted the liturgy in Greek and Slavonic. And one priest recited the gospel reading of John 1 from memory, which is amazing. And then one monk from Mount Athos got up and preached an entire Easter homily from John Chrysostom by memory. And one of the Orthodox priests who was there remembered it and later wrote this. In the open air, behind the shanty, the Orthodox gathered together, Greeks and Serbs. In the center, both priests, the Serb, and the Greek. They aren't wearing gold vestments. They don't even have cassocks, no tapers, no service books in their hands. But now they don't need external material lights to hymn the joy. The souls of all are aflame, swimming in light. Blessed is our God. My little paper-bound New Testament has come into its glory. We chant Christ is risen many times and its echo reverberates everywhere and sanctifies this place. Hitler's Germany, the tragic symbol of the world without Christ, no longer exists. And the hymn of the life of faith was going up from all souls. The life that proceeds buoyantly toward the crucified one of the verdant hill of Stein. What an epic quote. What an epic, epic story and time. That has astonished me this week. Um, there's a, an awesome article about that that I can post maybe for, for both of these stories if you want to read into it. Here's the third story. When the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, not just 12 like Dachau, but hundreds, God came to liberate his people from slavery, from bondage and death. And after nine horrific plagues in Egypt, and right before the 10th, when the angel of death would sweep through Egypt, God told the people to keep a feast. The people on their way out of Egypt were commanded to sit down and eat a meal to keep the Passover. They were to sit down as families in the midst of everything that was happening, in the midst of the panic and the exodus, to eat a lamb without blemish and bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And as Exodus 12 says, they were to eat it in haste with their belts fastened and sandals on their feet because they were about to flee from their captives, from their captors. And God says this in Exodus 12, starting in verse 14. This day shall one be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are you doing this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. 
The Passover was instituted in the midst of a crisis. The first one was held when everything was nuts. It was the most unlikely time to perform a religious ceremony. But that was God's command, not to run out as fast as they could, but first to keep the feast. And it was given as a memorial for them, a sacramental experience for them, not only in that first time when they celebrated it in Egypt, but for every time they would do it after that. And what does the Passover prefigure? Christ. Right, the passion of Jesus, Holy Week, right? Jesus celebrated the Passover on Monday, Thursday with his disciples. On Good Friday, he offers himself up as the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, so that the judgment of God would pass over his people. And on Easter Sunday, chains broke, right? Just like the Exodus, just like Dachau, prisoners were set free. Literally, the Bible says that tombs opened up. It's like they just couldn't handle the dead anymore, and the dead just popped out of their tombs. Hallelujah. And every month, every Sunday when we say, if you've ever been to our church before, uh, we always say, therefore, let us keep the feast. And we say in the Eucharistic prayer, we celebrate the memorial of our redemption. God commands his people to keep the feast in and out of season. And especially in crisis. Because it's not just a command, it's a gift. Next week is Holy Week. And for me at first, this was crushing um, because since I'm doing this, it means that we are not meeting where we usually do, which is as a church in Wilkie Gym and Edgewood High School. Um, and for those of us who have celebrated Holy Week before, if you've been a part of our church or in our network of churches around the Midwest, we love Holy Week. It's one of our favorite times of the year. It's the most exciting time of the year. It's the most meaningful time of the year for us. And it was crushing because there was going to be no you know, tons of instruments and procession on Palm Sunday, no whacking each other with palm branches and dancing around and having fun, um, no washing each other's feet all together on Monday, Thursday, no Good Friday service, which is one of our favorite evenings of the year, no praying and laying on hands of one another. That's one of the things coronavirus has taken away from us. <laughs> um, no venerating the cross and then no, no Easter acclamation. Um, that great explosion of joy that we've been waiting for when we with Christ in the resurrection break out of our tombs no dancing and then no pancakes for goodness sakes <laughs> at least not together um, and also we're still figuring out how to do it but we're still going to do some types and at first I thought about it it seems almost insensitive to celebrate Holy Week or even to try in the midst of what's happening right now in the midst of coronavirus so to call people to focus on the Lord and you know, celebrating the church calendar while the world is spinning almost feels a little bit insensitive. Like, shouldn't we be focusing on something else? Like, there is other stuff going on. We don't have the time to do this. Um, but as I've thought about the Passover, I wonder if Israelites might have thought the same thing. Like, do we really need to sit down right now and have a meal? Can we not, like, just leave Egypt? Um, is Like, why don't we celebrate it later uh, when we're really safe and on the other side of the Jordan? But then something has just flipped for me uh, recently, and I've just started realizing how precious and how timely it is that next week is Holy Week. Yeah. In an unprecedented time for our generation, perhaps the greatest pandemic that we will ever experience when our governor has literally commanded us to stay at home and stop. 
when fears and rumors and invisible virus enemies are all around us and the economy is crashing, right in the middle of everything, God has gifted us the great feast. Those in Dachau didn't even wait to change their uniforms before they celebrated Easter. I love that. They did it as the first thing, still in the concentration camp, they celebrated Easter. Those in World War I were lifted out of their misery and horror through the Feast of Christmas, which has its roots in the incarnation of Jesus, coming into the midst of trenches. And I pray that Holy Week in 2020 would have the similar experience for us in the season of coronavirus, right in the middle of our order to stay at home, we have Holy Week. Mm-hmm. May it sweep us up. May it, as that, that Orthodox priest says, set our souls aflame and may we, may we swim in the light. Now, in some ways, it's dangerous to use the analogies of World War I and Dachau to talk about our situation because they are very, very dissimilar. Uh, It would be a disservice to the memory of those people and to us to think that we are suffering in the same way. We are not. And yet, this is a unique situation. It's an unprecedented situation. There is a lot of fear. People are asking much bigger questions than we were two weeks ago uh, in all of culture, not just in our church. Um, And it's going to be bizarre because we're not going to be allowed to go to church during Holy Week. So I think the thinking about this being as a precious thing in the midst of crisis is really, really helpful for us. In the middle of it all, here comes the triumphal procession and the hosannas and the cross and the empty tomb. Amen. So two things I just want to finish for thinking about. Why do we celebrate Holy Week in the midst of crisis? Um, If we know it's awesome, and even with the Passover and these stories, why are we doing it? What are we going to get out of that? Why is it significant? And then second, and much more briefly, how are we going to do that? Just a little bit on practically what that's going to look like for us next week. So to begin with why, three things stick out to me from the scriptures and the testimony of the church like those we've already mentioned. So three, three reasons why. First, it grounds us. Celebrating Holy Week in crisis grounds us. The structures of the world and our individual lives are literally melting around us. We discussed this, but our economy is reeling, our medical system is reeling, um, our individual lives are being thrown for a loop. I mean, my life routine, I am a utter creature of habit. I've eaten the same sandwich or lunch for like five years straight. And every day of the week, I work from a certain place, I have certain meetings with certain people. Um, our family has a certain you know routine we do on our Sabbath day and on Sunday morning, and every single part of my routine has been utterly thrown into oblivion. And now I'm preaching into a camera. Um, And I've talked to so many of you in our church, and I know that it's the same for all of us. Uh, I've heard stories of working from like closets and bedrooms and like trying to figure out what to do with families that everybody's pulling their hair out. Like we are all in this situation where it's all over the place and many things melt, but nothing can touch the crucifixion and the resurrection. And nothing but Jesus coming back can stop the church calendar from, from us keeping the feast until we stand in his presence in the great feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will do this. Coronavirus can cancel a lot of things, but it can't cancel Easter. Hallelujah. <laughs> the memorial of our redemption. It'll change how we do it, but it cannot change that we do it. And so celebrating the resurrection is in itself a proclamation of the gospel. Um, 
celebrating Holy Week in the midst of coronavirus is an act of defiance against the powers of sin and death. Um, those blessed saints in Dachau celebrating Easter with SS guards, towels, is the most punk rock thing I've heard of in years. It's amazing. It's screaming into a disordered, chaotic world that some things never change. Mm -hmm. So Holy Week is there for, be, there for us to be a firm point in a melting world. A reminder of things that don't change. So when you celebrate it in your home, and I'll talk about how we're going to do that, and we all commune together online, let it be for us a reminder that some things never change. When you light a candle on Good Friday or for the services, or you wave palms in your living room on Palm Sunday, whatever it is, let it ground you. Uh, let it be an act of defiance in your life against the enemy that could be using the coronavirus to chip away at your security in Jesus. This is a reminder. Take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Second, it deepens our faith. So first, celebrating Holy Week in the midst of crisis grounds us, uh, but then second, it deepens our faith. Holy Week is like a drama. It is a story. It's a full narrative. And it's the greatest, most sweeping narrative in all of history. And when we celebrate it, we enter into it. We're swept up into the, that last powerful, most significant week in history of Jesus' life. And it seems funny that we would take time to enter into a drama because we have so much drama. <laughs> none, none of us are short on drama right now. But we do it. We enter into the drama of Holy Week because it helps us walk in the drama of our own life. We kind of enter into it and then it spits us back it out into our own life. Um, our readings this morning were from our lectionary, which is like our church Bible reading plan. And the church puts these two particular stories that Caitlin and Randy read, the Valley of Dry Bones and the Raising of Lazarus, right before Holy Week because they are like little Holy Week stories. Um, they're like little mini dramas that help us understand what's about to happen in the drama of Jesus' passion. And don't you love how in each of these stories Jesus takes somebody and he brings them along and it's clear in both stories that God is doing something amazing for the sake of their faith, so that they might come into it and see it and believe it. Um, he doesn't want to just tell them that the resurrection is a real thing. He wants them to experience it and taste it and go through the emotional lows and highs of confronting death and then seeing the power of God. And in both of these stories, like Holy Week, there are essentially three acts, uh, like any good play. I think Shakespeare five acts, all this stuff. Where's our Shakespearean people in the room? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, there's three, at least, that we'll point out in this one. Um, in the first act, in, in all of these stories, it begins with God bringing us to confront sin and death. Ezekiel, at the beginning, walks amidst the bones, and behold, they were exceedingly dry, it says. Uh, the image that Ezekiel is in is one of the most horrifying pictures in all of Scripture. He's in a valley of death, literally. Think of Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the angel of the Lord takes Ezekiel and puts him in the middle of the shadow of death. And also in John, notice how Jesus waits and lets Lazarus die. And then he takes these people and he brings them to the tomb where Jesus weeps and is deeply moved and angered by the reality of death. So that's first. The second act is in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death is hearing the word of God come in the middle of that. That's where in Ezekiel you hear, son of man, can these bones live? And he's like, 
I have no idea, but you know. And then he says, here's what I'm going to do. While he's still looking at death, God says, prophesy over the bones. This is what I'm about to make happen. They're going to come back to life. Same thing in John. Uh, Jesus says, I can't remember if it's Mary or Martha, but he says, do you believe this? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. While they're in front of Lazarus's tomb, I'm the resurrection and life. Do you believe this? Before the resurrection has happened, the word of God comes. And the third act is the resurrection itself. The wind comes over the bones, sinews and life and breath is breathed back into them and the bones become a great army. And then in John, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And death and Lazarus obey. I love it. They just do his bidding immediately. The Lord brings Ezekiel and all the people in that story in John into the drama of those acts in order to deepen their faith, in order to teach them how to walk by faith instead of by sight. He's trying to help them learn how to trust in the word of the Lord and the power of God, even when what they are looking at looks like it is the true story and it is more powerful than the word of God. And it's the last word. He's trying to teach them how to say, do you believe in the word of God? Here's why you should trust this. And every time you enter into Holy Week, that is what you do. On Good Friday, you confront sin and death. You take a good long look at it in Act 1. Then on Holy Saturday, the day in between Good Friday and Easter, you enter into the valley and you hear the word of the Lord. And in our tradition, we have something called an Easter vigil, uh, which we'll actually get to watch this year through our diocese, which is going to be awesome. And in that, we hear nine different readings from the Old Testament leading up to the resurrection. And it's like being in the valley and hearing the prophetic word of the Lord saying, here's what's going to happen with death. Here's what I'm going to do to it. And we remind ourselves, even before Easter Sunday, no, God had always promised that he was going to conquer sin and death. And then, of course, you witness the resurrection on Easter morning. You see the bones come back to life. You see Lazarus come forth. And then coming out of that drama you step back into your own drama. The drama of coronavirus. The drama of your family. The drama of politics in 2020. The drama of food and money and making a living. The drama of your own patterns of sin. But now it's different after you you enter into that space with Jesus, right? You have this new perspective and faith with which you are entering back into life, being able to walk by faith and not by sight, being able to trust what the word of the Lord says instead of by what appears around you and what your eyes see. You get that eternal kingdom perspective and how much do we need that perspective right now? Amen? We need it so bad. So that's the second reason it deepens our faith in a time when we desperately need it. Um, Third, and briefly, we celebrate it in the midst of crisis because it's ministry. Uh, not only to each other, but also to all of those around us. It's ministry. The feasts of God, which manifest the power of God, have this way, like we've talked about, of sweeping people up uh, into the life of God. It just kind of connects everybody and brings them in. Think about the soldiers in 1914. I'm sure all of them weren't thinking like holy incarnational thoughts um, before Christmas Eve, but it just has this way of catching you up in it. Um, I think in Dachau, maybe not everybody was excited about going through the Orthodox liturgy of Easter that day when it happened. 
um, but who could not have been moved and brought up into, like that priest says, into the souls of flame and swimming in light when they heard somebody quote John 1 in Greek and say, in the midst of the concentration camp, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Last week we talked about how we're preparing for this season of being a season of scarcity to be a people who ask and who give in faith radically in a way that reflects Jesus. And we're doing everything. We can set up ways to practically do this and give our time and money. And um, our community care team is working hard on this. I'm really proud of them. But I just want to encourage you to think of Holy Week as an opportunity, especially uh, to love those around you. Uh, Ways that you can get the drama and what God is teaching you in Holy Week out to those in your life. Whether it's through the internet or physically in your street or in our city. It could be physical, spiritual, emotional ministry, whatever that looks like, we always see people be swept up into the church in Holy Week. And because we're not going to be gathered together, it will look different. But I fully trust that God is still going to do something through uh, us all submitting under the word of God and walking under the light and light of Jesus. Um, So we're praying for that. So why celebrate Holy Week in the midst of crisis? Well, for many reasons, but at least it's a gift given to us in crisis right now in the middle of coronavirus to ground us, to remind you of what's immovable, um, to deepen our faith, to give us the perspective of Jesus in the midst of all of this that we so desperately need a lens of faith right now to walk through it. Um, And then also it's an opportunity for us to love one another and to minister to those in our midst. So if that's why we do it, how are we going to do it? Um, very briefly, let's get practical. This is the part where we get creative as well. Uh, other people get creative. We can too. If World War I soldiers can figure out a way to play soccer over artillery bombshelled no man's land, we can do Holy Week in the middle of coronavirus. Come on, guys. We got this. Um, there'll be two parts to this. Uh, one part will be Holy Week at home. And the other part will be coming together online for our services. So first, we're going to be sending everyone Holy Week at home guides. And uh, one of the reasons we love Holy Week is that for each service, there's something that you get to participate uh, in the story that's happening, like a processional or like, you know, walking with the cross or Easter morning acclamation and all this stuff. And we're going to find really creative ways for us and our friendship groups or roommates or children to enter into this in your own home. It's going to be a a place, like we said at the beginning of the service, for you to participate and kind of reenact the story of Jesus, maybe like you've never been able to do before, because you're going to have so much more ownership than you usually do in a Holy Week. It's kind of like building a Holy Week in your household, which is such a joy. Um, But we all want to be doing that in common unity together, so we're going to be sending you stuff on how to do that uh, in a way that's really delightful and meaningful. And then second, we'll be coming together online, uh, so we'll have services that you'll be able to queue into where we'll all come together at the same time, which will be really special. Um, That is coming your way, and it will be landing in your inbox, hopefully no later than Wednesday of this coming week. Um, So think about the opportunity for this this Holy Week. It's going to be so special. It's such a gift 
it's not a bad thing that we get Holy Week right now and we can't go to, to Wilkie in Edgewood High. I really do think it's a gift for each of us that Holy Week is coming to us in the midst of the biggest economic and medical crisis that we've had in my lifetime. May God use it. May he sanctify it to us and may he do mighty, mighty things through it in our communal life together and in our city. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.